0: to Psalm number 5. We're going to read the psalm, and as I was beginning to study in this psalm, there are certainly um, uh, many psalms. There's 150 psalms, and we've been dealing with the book of Proverbs and also the book of Psalms going back and forth between the two. And we could say that the book of Proverbs tells us a lot about how we ought to live our lives, but the book of Psalms uh, really lays out the foundation for our lives, and that is a communion and fellowship with the Lord, and uh, truly the life that we live should proceed out of that communion and that fellowship uh, with the Lord, and so the book of Psalms deals with this. and. We're going to read through uh, the entirety of Psalm 5, and then I'm going to focus this evening on the first three verses. Um, I was going to preach through the whole Psalm, but I think time will not allow that, and so I think you'll be grateful for that. All right, so let's begin Psalm 5, verse 1. The Bible says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man." But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own Counsels Cast them out in the multitude of thy transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield." As we um, open here in Psalm 5, uh, the psalmist here is asking audience of the Lord, Give ear to my words. Verse 2, Hearken unto my voice. In verse 3, however, and again, he is talking about him asking the Lord to hear before he prays for the Lord to hear him in his prayer. In verse 3, he goes on to say, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, In the morning, I will direct my prayer unto thee. And so I would like to um, teach on the following thought that's taken from verse 3, and here's the title. My direction in the morning. My direction in the morning. Now this is um, entitled, if you look, I don't know if you have this in your Bible, but sometimes they'll have a little title above uh, the psalm And it kind of gives us the source or maybe the one who penned the book of Psalms. Not all of them were uh, penned or authored by David. Uh, but this one in particular is, the Bible says, to the chief musician upon Nehaloth, a psalm of David. Uh, and so here this entitled as a psalm of David. And when we think of David, we may think of him primarily as we think of the king of Israel. And so he was. We can think about, the children might think of David as the man who slew Goliath, right? That's the the great story of David, great story in the Bible. Uh, We may even regard David as a man of action whose life, as we read it in the Scriptures, is characterized by mighty acts and victory over the enemies. Uh, The king, we could say, if we think about Solomon after him, we could say that David was the king who ushered in the greatest period in the history of in Israel's history as a nation, uh, the the time of Solomon was when Israel had its um, uh, largest borders, was its wealthiest, was its mightiest as well. And, well, David was the one in part who who was able to usher in such a kingdom. And so this knowledge here, when we think about David as a king, as a warrior, as a soldier, I think we know we have the book of Psalms, but we don't tend to primarily think of David as A young man who plays the harp or sings. We find that in the early times of his life, but the book of Psalms shows us that this was not true just in the early times of his life. It was true throughout the remainder of his life. And so that knowledge of David could really cloud our perspective with regards to what David was like. Now, we might think that David probably was very busy as a king, had many things to do in his life, but the book of Psalms gives us here insight into the life of this same man who we think of as a king, as a warrior, as a mighty man with great exploits, who ushered in the greatest period in the history of the nation of Israel. But we're talking here about the man, according to the New Testament, that calls David the man after God's own heart. And I think that when we think about David as the man after God's own heart, we should not think primarily of David as a mighty king or a mighty soldier or the man who ushered in the greatest uh, period in the history of Israel, we should think David primarily as a man who had fellowship and communion with God, a man who walked with God. Now, not sinless, but a man who certainly walked with the Lord. Now, in the opening three verses of this psalm, certainly this whole psalm could be uh, discuss, and we'll cover that again next week. So I'm not going to do Proverbs next week. We're going to keep continue going through the psalm. But in the opening three verses of Psalm 5, our attention is brought to the subject of prayer. Uh, in these opening verses, we can make note of some basic and important components of prayer. And I think that this is important because the subject of prayer, yes, is such a basic idea in the Bible when it comes to walking with the Lord, but yet I think we would all admit that it is one of the most difficult areas of Christian living. I think we all know that. I think we all understand that perhaps it is easier for us even to open the Bible and to read it than it is to set a time apart and to pray. There's something about prayer that often is not natural for us, but here we find as we begin this psalm. I want to give us some thoughts about prayer because I believe here those are very important and give us an understanding and some uh, truths and principles that we can draw that I believe will help us. So let's read those first three verses again. Notice, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto Thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto Thee, and will look up. Now let's pause here and consider again bringing out the words. The title again is, My Direction in the Morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to study Your Word this evening. Give us understanding. Lord, please challenge our prayer lives. That we might align our behavior with your word. And so may your spirit guide us in the truth this evening. And may you bring about a change in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to answer, 3 I think, four questions. When we think about the subject of prayer, first of all, I want to answer the question, What? what is is prayer? Uh, Then I'm going to talk about who. Who is prayer about? And then we'll ask the question, when? When are we to pray? And then finally, how are we to pray? Now these are basic questions, but often I think that we might just think of prayer in the sense of, well, yeah, pray. And Jesus Christ gave instruction to His disciples about prayer. He, he said in Matthew chapter 6, He said, for example, don't pray like the religious people of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees who like to be prayed in public like to pray in public places to be seen and to be heard of men and Jesus said that they have the reward that's the reward the the applause of men and people might look at them praying and they might think to themselves well here's a a spiritual man who loves the lord because he prays and he says that's the motivation of the the hypocrite but then he says but don't be like the heathens who use vain repetition. They, they pray and they just go on and repeat the same thing over and over again. And he said, because they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. And so Jesus Christ addresses the subject of prayer and then he, he teaches his disciples how to pray by giving them, if you would, a, a model prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer it should be called the Disciples' Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is found really in John 17 because uh, Jesus did not need for his sins to be forgiven. So he's telling the disciples how they ought to pray. And he gives them an example. And here David, as, he, as we open the psalm, certainly many of the psalms is a direct prayer of David, where we say, okay, David is praying. But as we open this psalm, David is not praying. Rather, he is saying, I'm going to pray. But he lays out the groundwork or some principles and some truths surrounding prayer in this psalm that I believe are beneficial to us. The first thing we look at as we think about this psalm, we see first of all the approach of prayer. Notice in verse 1, he says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. And then he says, Consider my meditation. Now I want you to notice as we proceed here through the first three verses... Notice the declarations of the psalmist. In verse 1, he says to the Lord, Give ear to my words. Verse 2, he says, Hearken unto the voice of my cry. He says again in verse 2, Unto thee will I pray. And then in verse 3, he says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning and then again he says, In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. And so all of those declaration from the psalmist doesn't uh, indicate to us here that he is actively praying, but he has given us, if you would, uh, the, the background, or he's laying out the groundwork for prayer. And so what we find here is the psalmist having an attitude or a spirit of prayer. And so we notice the approach of the psalmist He says here in verse 1, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Now notice here, he brings those two together. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. So the psalmist here, he says, I'm going to pray, I will pray unto thee. Uh, You're going to hear my prayer in the morning. But before he says this, he mentions his meditation. Now, we already noted the word meditation in the very first psalm. If you go back to Psalm 1, you remember verse 1 and 2. In the very first psalm, he said this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. If you remember, in the first psalm, we saw that we have a contrast between... Um, the, one who, um, uh, the man who is blessed, he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of the scornful. So when we think about the first psalm, the blessed man is the one who doesn't have certain relationships. Um, the counsel of the ungodly, the way of sinners, the seat of the scornful. It testifies of relationship. But he says, But his delight, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now when we think about the law of the Lord, we must not really primarily think about papers and words, as much as we should think about a relationship. Uh, The delight is in the law of the Lord, not in the what? The counsel of the ungodly, the way of the sinner, or the seed of the scornful. Don't have those relationships. Rather, uh, give uh, precedence to your relationship with the Lord and meditate in the law of the Lord. And so, the primary relationship of man is not to be found with man. The primary relationship of man is to be found with the Lord. In other words, there are many councils, there are many ways in the world, there are many seats. In the world, there are many relationships that we can have, but the primary relationship that we should entertain in our, in our lives is a relationship with the Lord. He brings in Psalm 1, he says, uh, uh, Don't walk, don't stand, don't sit. Turn your attention to the Word of God, and that's where the blessed man is. And so, delight in the law of the Lord and meditate in His law day and night. Now, the reason why we have the Word of God is so that we can know God. It's not so that we can develop ourselves intellectually. The Bible is a book about a relationship with God. Uh, that is the narrative of all of the Scriptures. Uh, the, the narrative of the Scriptures is that God had communion with, with Adam from the very beginning, but then Adam sinned, and that that communion was severed because of sin. And so the, uh, the, the testimony of the Bible is a testimony of redemption whereby God is going to do a work to bring about man's redemption so that man can be back in communion with God as he once was. And so when we think about the, the meditating in the law, delighting in the law of the Lord, uh, what is is? It's about our relationship with the Lord. It's about focusing and making that our primary relationship. And he says here in this prayer, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. You see, before the psalmist comes to the Lord in prayer, there is already a spirit of prayer in Him. Do you look at the words here? Do you sense when you think about these words? Give ear to my words. Hearken to the voice of my cry. Unto Thee will I pray. My voice shalt Thou hear in the morning. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto Thee. Do you sense here in the psalmist? A hunger and a thirst for communion with God. Just by the words he's uttering, before he even prays. The meditation of his heart is, I want to speak to God. I want to cry out to God. I want to speak to God in the morning. And so there's a yearning, there's a hunger and thirst for communion with God. Do you see? What we find here in those words is really a passion. Think about the word meditate. What is that? Well, it speaks meditation is something that you do within. Uh, You see, before he prays out loud to the Lord, he says, consider my meditation. And so what we find here is that there is genuineness in the psalmist. There's an approach by which he comes to the Lord. There's something genuine. There's something yearning and hungering after the Lord. We think about the word cry that communicates to us the emotion of the psalmist, unto thee will I cry. He's not talking now about specific words, but he's talking about the emotion here that is felt by the psalmist where he he cries out to God and he wants God to hear him. But we also see, think about the word morning. He repeats twice in the morning, will I pray unto thee. What does that communicate? It communicates priority. First, I'm going to tend to the things of God. God. So when we look here at this psalm and the approach of the prayer, we think about genuineness. We think about a man who is emotional about communion and fellowship with the Lord. We find a man who has given himself to a priority in this with the Lord. And so the words of this psalm come from a place of genuineness, of emotion, and of importance in a relationship with the Lord. You see, there is something that drives him to pray. Do you see that? In other words, he's not praying here, verse 1, 2, and 3. He says, I will pray. In the morning, I will pray. So, there is something that drives the psalmist to pray. So, what we have to do is we have to pause and we have to ask ourselves, Is there anything that drives me to prayer? If there is no driving force, then maybe our approach to prayer is not the correct one. You see, it is something here that sets his heart in a spirit of prayer or a disposition of prayer. We have to cultivate, again, Not just the habit of prayer. We have to cultivate the spirit of prayer, which is actually better than the habit of prayer. Because the psalmist here, before he comes to the Lord, that's his that's his attitude. His approach is, I want to cry out to God. I want to pray to God. I want to come to God. I'm want. i going to pray to God and Him alone in the morning. This is the first person that I'm going to talk to in the morning. And so there's a spirit of prayer that is cultivated in his life before he even gets into the habit of prayer. And we have to recognize that in the Christian life, we can get very easily into a habit. And we do things because that's what we're supposed to do. And often we have to cultivate that which drives us to a habitual life of prayer. That's what we have to cultivate. Now you say, well, why do you say that, Pastor? Well, because there are so many religions in the world that habitually pray. But that does not make them spiritual. Why? Because what is it that drives them? And so here we find... um, A spirit of prayer that is cultivated by this psalmist before he even prays to God. I read a quote I thought was good. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, he said, we should be careful to keep the stream of meditation always running. For this is the water to drive the mill of prayer. It is idle to pull up the floodgate of a dry brook and then hope to see the wheel revolve. In other words, if we just come to prayer because, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. Because when we come to church, we're supposed to pray. Then I suggest to you that that prayer time might be dry. But yet if there's a spirit, if there's a certain approach, he says, consider my meditation. And so perhaps we should think about what is it that I am prioritizing in my life is something is prayer something that I throw in my life so that I can say as a Christian that I prayed? Or rather, is it something have I adjusted my life to where prayer is something that I must do? I must do it. Not I have to. I must. So we see the approach of prayer, but then secondly, we see verse two, the relationship of prayer. So the psalmist says, now in the first verse, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. That's his approach. You see, the psalmist, before he even comes to God, he's been thinking about the Lord. You know, we, we often, we do this at our mealtimes, and often maybe we might get into the habit, well, before I, I, I go to work today, I, I just got to say a quick prayer. And then so we, we rush in and out of the presence of God And there is no meditation involved. And what I'm saying by that is that we we, we bow our heads and we we just say the the quick prayer and and often we, we may not be really realizing or pausing for just a moment to think, who am I talking to? You remember when Jesus told His disciples, taught His disciples to pray? He says, when ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. What is Jesus saying? He says, make sure that when you come in prayer, that your sight is fixed on the Lord. Not your need, but the Lord. That's the approach. But then we see the relationship. So he says, hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. Do you notice here the psalmist is not a stranger to the Lord? Notice the compelling pronouns. My king. My God. Um, There is a personal relationship that drives him to God and to God alone. Notice the words. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my king. And my God, for unto thee, the expression there means unto you and you alone, while I pray. So we see that the meditation, meditation creates a spirit of prayer before the habit of prayer. But then we think about the relationship and we see here that the personal relationship is really what drives the psalmist to God because, as he says, "I'm I'm gonna speak to you. Why? Because you are my God. I am not an alien to God. I have a relationship with God. In Romans, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, we see that clearly he had uh, mentioned earlier in the book of Romans in chapter 5. The, he had said in uh, Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about how. We have been granted entrance into this grace wherein we stand. Later in Romans eight, he says this, notice in verse fifteen, he says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the what? The children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. And so understand here, when we think about prayer, we, we, we think about our relationship. Jesus said the same to His disciples when He says, When you pray, say, Our Father. You can cry out to God and say, Father, why? Because we are His children and the psalmist here, in the same way, he says, my king and my God. You see, we think about a king in those days. The king had the, one of the responsibilities of the king was to hear of the trouble in the kingdom. And often citizens would line up outside of the, the courtroom and the king would come and he would sit on his throne and the citizenry would come in one after the other and they would share their trouble. Why? They, because as the citizens of, the, of, of that kingdom... The the king had to be disposed to hear from them and to listen to them. Why? Because they were part of the kingdom. And so we are not only part of the kingdom of God, but we are also the children of God and joint heirs with Christ. You see, prayer is based upon a relationship. And furthermore, prayer is also based upon the cultivation of that relationship. See, when you get saved, you might call on the Lord to save you. And the Lord will save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then we are instructed to pray on a regular basis and so we understand that prayer is based upon a relationship And so we come to God because we have a relationship, but then we understand that that relationship must be cultivated as well. We have the relationship, but that relationship must must be cultivated. And so though personal pronouns, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. That is the exclusivity, the relationship of prayer. We come to Verse 3, and now we get into some more specific details about prayer. We think about the approach of prayer, the relationship of prayer, but thirdly, we think about the appropriate time of prayer. Notice what he says in verse 3, My voice shalt thou hear in the what? The morning. O Lord, in the, what's the next word? Morning will I direct my prayer unto Thee, and will look up. So we ask this question here, maybe the basic question, somebody may say and say, well, Pastor, we're to pray, when? When, that's a good question. Now, there ought to be a spirit of prayer. There's no doubt that, right, that should be characteristic of all of our lives, that we we don't have to find ourselves every time we pray to God in a closet with a door shut with no distractions. We can pray with our eyes open, driving down the road. We can pray. We have access to God wherever we are, at any time, at any moment, in any place. However, there are some ordained times to pray, and what we find and pattern in, particularly the book of Psalms, but also throughout the Word of God, such as in the life of David, the life of Daniel, the life of Christ, is prayer in the morning. Now here again, the psalmist is very specific in reference to the practice of prayer. He doesn't stop at, in other words, verse 3, he could have said, My voice shalt thou hear. The next three words are vital. In the morning. You know, I think we all like the idea of prayer but we may not necessarily enjoy the specifics of when we ought to pray. You see, so vital are those three words that He repeats them twice. Do you notice verse 3? My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. And then He says, In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. Now notice here, in the first mention... He ends with the words in the morning. In the second mention, He begins with the words in the morning. He could have just said, My voice in the morning thou shalt hear. There wouldn't be really an emphasis on the morning. But the fact that in one instance He ends with the morning, and the next time He begins with the morning, the reference here, it could have been buried in the midst But because it is at the end of one and at the beginning of the other, and it is that which is repeated, it speaks of its importance. You see, in the morning is not buried in the midst of this sentence. I believe it is the focal point of the sentence. Secondly, it is repeated twice, which if God repeats it, it must be important. And thirdly, it is emphasized at the end and at the beginning. Now, I don't know what your habit is. But the biblical pattern is to begin our day in the morning in prayer. So, well, Pastor, I've chosen in my life to do it in the evening or just kind of do it throughout the day. And I understand it is wonderful to have a spirit of prayer. But there is a pattern in the Scriptures that shows us that the morning is that what you give to the Lord first and you begin in the morning. Why? Because you're saying by that from the very beginning of your day that my day is the Lord's and belongs to the Lord. That I find that the most important thing I can do before I even speak to my wife, before I even speak to my children, before I even speak to my co-workers, before I get on my phone and start doing business on my daily duties, I want everybody to know that God is the most important person in my life. And I dare not begin my day without for spending time with God. In the morning, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be in communion and in fellowship with God. And so, you see the appropriate time of prayer. I understand that you can pray anytime, any moment, all throughout the day. But there's something about our lives that testifies that That is where our priority is. In the morning. In the morning. But there's something that he adds in verse 3. He says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. We see finally... As we think about those points, not only the approach of prayer, the relationship of prayer, the appropriate time of prayer, but then we see the expectation of prayer. Notice here he says, In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. Now I brought my bow this evening. Don't be scared. I'm not going to pull it or anything. This is a, uh, just a regular compound bow. Do you notice the words he says, In the morning will I direct... My prayer unto thee. Now the idea of direction is if you think about a bow and arrow, it's as if the psalmist is saying here, I'm going to put my prayer, which is represented by the arrow, and I'm going to direct my prayer unto the Lord. And so if you think about a bow, you have to have a target. And you think about the prayer as being the arrow, and so you pull... The arrow, and you let it go and you launch it, you direct it at a target. And so prayer is directed here. Notice, I will direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Now, both of those expressions here talks about the direction of His prayer. I will put my prayer upon the bow. I will direct it toward heaven. And then when I have shot up my arrow, I will look up to see... It, where it is gone. And what I'm trying to say to us is prayer is now we don't pray just because of the practice of praying. When we pray, it's like a bow and arrow. We say, Well, I'm going to direct my prayer unto God. And I'm going to aim my needs and my prayer and my request and my, and my voice directly to God. Now, the important thing about this is that the emphasis here is not really on. on the bow or the practice or even the prayer itself. He says, unto thee will I direct my prayer. Now, I hunt. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. But before you hunt, you have to have practice, especially with a bow. And when you think about the bow, you have to line things up. Now, typically you would have this uh, little piece here. And when you pull this, which is about 70 pounds of weight, this little ring aligns with the dots and so then you have to practice hit the target. And the point is when you're launching the arrow you don't look at the bow you don't even look at the arrow you strictly look at the target. As a matter of fact if you don't look at the target you're not going to hit it. Uh, In this bow here this is the way it's aligned if I pull it, if I move, not even an inch. If I barely move it, if I even twitch. Many times it will completely miss the target. And so the point is, you have to line things up. But what you're focused on when you shoot that, you're focusing on the target. And typically when you shoot at the target, you want to hit the middle, dead in the center. Now for hunting is because when you hunt... You want to make sure that when you shoot, it's going to be a kill shot. You don't want the animal to suffer. You want it to be a clean and quick kill quickly. And so you practice. And same thing as you're on the field shooting or if you're target practicing, the focus is always on the target. That's what you're trying to hit. And then after, when you pull the arrow and then you let it go and the arrow flies in the air, you're focused on at one moment because you can't often see the arrow. But you look at the target. And then you look at the target and you find the arrow hits the target and then at that moment you know where the arrow has gone. And because you know where the arrow has gone, then you know how to adjust your life. You know how to adjust then uh, the science, You know how to align things in a better way. And so when the psalmist says here that I direct my prayer unto the Lord, he says, notice, notice the words. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto Thee, and, notice, will look up. You see, when we pray, we don't pray just to pray. We are aiming at something, or could I say someone. We are praying to the God of heaven. We are saying, God, I need You. You see, often we might just come rush in and out of prayer, and we might not even think at who we're praying to. And perhaps, is it possible that often we may not get results or answers to our prayers because we don't even know who we're praying to, or we we don't even know what we're aiming at? Do you notice He says, In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, notice, and will look up. I want to see where my prayer goes. And so, do you see here the idea He says in the morning... So I'm venturing to say here the reason why the psalmist prays in the morning is because he wants to get a hold of God in the morning. He wants to direct his prayer right to God and then throughout the day he wants to keep looking up to see if God will answer his prayer that day. Now if that is the case, then the prayer of the psalmist has to be very specific for him to know whether God answered it or not. You know, we might be sometimes maybe too involved in praying in generalities and saying something like this. Well, God bless this day. Help me to have a good day. The question is, what are you aiming at and what are you expecting in return for your prayer? Maybe if I pray, Lord... I really want to please you today. I would like, would you give me an opportunity to witness to somebody today? That's specific. And so you just line things up Says God, I know this would please you. And so I'm going to launch that. God, would you help me witness to someone today? And so you launch that arrow. And you want it to hit the target. And then maybe as God opens a door for you to witness to someone one day, you say, God answered my prayer. You see, could it be that we do not experience victories in our lives? and that we do not know that God answers our prayer, because first of all, we may not even be aiming at God, but then secondly, we may not even be looking at where our prayers are going to find out if God is going to give us a result. I will direct my prayer in the morning unto thee. You see, so he begins in the morning and says, I'm, I, I, have to, I, have set, I have things that I want to do for the Lord throughout the day, and so I'm going to begin my day with getting aligned with God. So that throughout the day, I can make sure that I stay aligned with God. You see, could it be possible that we don't even know that we align with God throughout the day? Because, first of all, we haven't begun by aligning ourselves with God in the first place. And we just hope that everything turns out for the best. Lord, help me to have a good day. Well, what is a good day? What is a successful day? I think that in generally speaking it's a day where we do that which pleases the Lord. Could it be it is the day when we see our prayers answered? We have a stack of friend, friend, uh, friend invitation cards and so uh, today we had a man standing out at the front of the door and he's taking a picture of the house. And I'm like so I go outside and he introduces himself. They're doing, I guess, tax assessment for all the properties. They've done, not done that in 30 years, so I was talking to him. And so then I turn around and, and I was heading back in the house and as I like stepped into the house, I felt like a slap in the back of my head. That was the Lord. <laughs> I said, um, remember you asked for the Lord to give you somebody to invite to friend day? I said, oh, yes, yes, yes. So I got a friend day card and then Go out there and invite the man to church. See if I have an opportunity to witness to him. You see, in our lives, we have to aim at something. You know, it is interesting. Do you know what the word sin means? To miss the mark. the reason why we often miss the mark is because we're not aiming at anything. We just wander through our day hoping for the best, hoping that God will just help our circumstances to go well and we never aim at anything. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We must begin our day. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and I will look up. You see, that is the expectation of prayer. You see, we do not miss much of the sweetness and efficacy of prayer by a want of careful meditation before it and hopeful expectation after it. We too often rush into the presence of God without forethought or humility and certainly after we pray without any expectation from God. And I think we're missing a great component of prayer. And so here the psalmist here, before he even goes on into this great psalm, he says, let's think about these, these aspects of prayer. Give ear unto my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. I'm going to approach in meditation, in reverence to the Lord. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King, my God, for unto thee will I pray. I have a relationship with God and He wants to hear me, and so I'm going to speak to Him. And I'm going to do so in verse 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. There's going to be an appropriate time for me to pray to the Lord. And finally, there's going to be an expectation. I will direct my prayer unto thee, and we'll look up. You see, those who will expect something from God... In the day are those who will first have directed their lives in the morning. Can we expect something from God in the day? If we first have not given ourselves direction in the morning, again, the importance is not the bow, it's not the arrow, it's the target, it's the Lord. Turning our attention to the Lord first thing and then keeping our attention, expecting things from God. So may the Lord help us to see how we can implement that in our lives.